Hello there. Welcome to Rockin' the Difference, a podcast meant to share the experiences and information with those on their journey in the special needs world. I am your host, Chandra Neal, a mom of a young adult with special needs. My intent is to create a community where we can connect, be real, and share in the humor and the tears, challenges, and triumphs of what it's like traveling down this path that is so unique as a special needs parent. Together, we can encourage and support each other as we are all rocking the difference. Hey there, and welcome to the very first episode of Rockin' the Difference. I'm your host, Chandra Neal, and I am so grateful for you listening in today. It is the avenue I found worked best for me, trying to reach out to you and share stories and information to connect this special needs community. Many of you listening in right now might be my family and friends supporting this venture. And if that's you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I truly appreciate your support. And for those of you who don't know anything about me, I'm glad you found this and I hope it's a place you come back to. To be honest, I never thought I'd be hosting a podcast. What actually triggered me to do this was the death of my sister in 2022. And I don't bring that up to be morbid or go down a sorrowful path, but her dying so unexpectedly at age 42 really jolted me into the present moment and made me evaluate if I was doing all that I could and all I wanted to do with my life because it goes really fast. So I went down this personal growth wormhole that indirectly led me here. So the end of her life here triggered this beginning in me. So thanks, Shara. I want to acknowledge that those of us living alongside someone with special needs all have unique stories. I'm here to share mine in hopes that you can find pieces that resonate with you and let you know that you're not alone. As unique as our stories are, we all still want the best for our loved ones and we're all terrified of what the future looks like. We all celebrate little things that are the big things, and we're all tired and worried and frustrated, but we're also compassionate and strong and resilient. And I honor you and your struggles and triumphs. For many of us, this isn't the path we chose, so redirecting our life, our goals and dreams to encompass this unexpected turn should be recognized. This is the beginning of my podcast journey reaching out to special needs families, and I thought I should bring up how my special needs journey began. So I found out in 2002 I was pregnant with my second child. I had been trying a year to get pregnant, and so I was really excited. And right after I found out I was pregnant, I also started a new job at a biotech company working in a lab. And they wanted to train me on a radioactive assay, to which I quickly reached out to my manager and told her of my pregnancy a lot earlier than I had wanted to and asked if I could train on something different. I mean, I didn't want to risk my child having a birth defect or anything. And she was super supportive and excited for me. And a few months later, I had my second ultrasound to find out the gender of the baby. I was anticipating and excited to find out this information and I really wanted a girl. 
my first child was a boy and he was going to be seven years old by the time this baby was born. So it wasn't like I had his baby stuff to share or anything like that. So when I found out I was having another boy, I was really upset, like pulled over to the side of the road, sobbing, kind of upset just for a few minutes, of course. But looking back, it seemed like such a trivial thing to be upset about. Everything else was fine with the baby from what they told me about the ultrasound. My pregnancy went well. I felt healthy. I had no issues other than falling onto my hands and knees at six months pregnant because I missed the last step walking down the stairs at home trying to get ready for work in the morning. I slowly stood up to see that my right pinky toe was hanging off to the side. I had never broken a bone before, so I looked down at my foot, and it all, it looked all kinds of wrong, but I knew I had a training at work I needed to go to and have just started the job there. I didn't want to miss it, so I drove a stick shift into work one hour uphill with my wonky toe, and I don't know what I was thinking. I couldn't put on a shoe, therefore I couldn't go into the lab to do any work. I couldn't walk far, so I couldn't go to the training building. A doctor that was working there at the time came up to me and he says, um, that's broken. You need to go to the doctor's office. So I left work, drove one hour home on a stick shift uphill again and went to the doctor's office and x-rays and a crack back into place and I was good to go. <clears throat> no major incidents the rest of my pregnancy. Fast forward to delivery time. It was about 3.30 in the morning and I knew I needed to go to the hospital. Contractions were light, but close together. I drove myself so Devin, my older one, could stay sleeping. He was home with dad, and I'd call home if they needed to come in. My little one was ready to enter the world at 9.45 a.m. He was a healthy nine and a half pounds of fat and love, and he looked like a bunch of layered biscuits, so that has been his nickname, Biscuit. Those birth certificates says Ryan. After I got to hold him for a little bit, <clears throat> the nurses took him to do their thing while I got ready to move into the recovery room. Later, when they brought him back to me, they said um, that they would need to take him back later to do more tests, that they weren't able to check his eyes. They said it could be that his eyes were swollen from the pressure of the delivery or whatever. So they took him again later and brought him back and said the same thing. But the vibe was off, and I was holding him and looking at him. And there was a moment I said, I wonder if he has no eyes. Not really meaning it, but it looked like he was trying to open them, and it just wasn't working out for the guy. So soon after this, I was moved into a private recovery room, which was interesting. At first, I thought it was because I was sneezing so badly from all the flowers the woman next to me had on her side of the room. But that probably wasn't it. It probably was so they can have me have some privacy to talk to a social worker that came into my room. At least that's what I remember her to be. I felt like this happened without getting any solid information about what was even going on from any of the nurses or the doctors. I remember starting to get sucked up into this whirlwind and only remember bits and pieces of what she told me. One of which was how she had a child with a cleft palate. I remember thinking, what are you even talking about right now? Why are you telling me this? 
Eventually, the doctor told me that they were never able to check out his eyes and that they suggested I make an appointment with a pediatric ophthalmologist as soon as possible. So I had Ryan on a Wednesday, left the hospital on a Friday, and had an appointment with a pediatric ophthalmologist that following Monday. But first, there's that pediatrician appointment when you leave the hospital. So that was a Saturday. The pediatrician suggested we try to get his eyes open. So I would hold the top of his eyelid, and he would pull down on the bottom. And we got it open ever so slightly, only to see, like, a black hole. And at this point, my heart just sank. I felt lightheaded. The doctor kept trying to reassure me that we just need to have patience and see what the specialist had to say. But I had a pretty good idea. I wasn't going to be hearing anything that would take away the fear of what I knew I would hear. I was on the internet like crazy those two days before our appointment, just getting as much info as I could from the 2003 internet searches, but I pretty much had him diagnosed. I was still nervous going to the appointment on Monday. When we finally saw the pediatric ophthalmologist, he held Ryan between his two hands like face down and acted as if he was gonna drop him almost. It was something to do with his reflexes, I don't know, but that's all I remember him doing. I'm sure he looked at his eyes or something, but it was a blur. And he said to us, very matter-of-factly, like, yes, he either has bilateral microphthalmia or bilateral anophthalmia. Microphthalmia means he might have very small eyes, which may or may not have any functional vision or ability to see shadows. Anophthalmia would mean he has no eyes at all. And we needed to make an appointment with a pediatric neurologist to get a CT scan to confirm all this. I was beginning to learn that making all these appointments was going to be a continual process in my life. So we had to wait two months to get an appointment with a pediatric neurologist. In the meantime, I was reeling from this new reality that now was my life. I was not prepared to do any of this, but somehow you get in survival mode and I was researching what I could do for Ryan. When our appointment came around, I was nervous, but almost prepared or hardened even to be able to hear the news I was going to hear. It took a while to get Ryan asleep. We tried to get him asleep so he would be still in the machine and they gave us like warm blankets to wrap him in and finally he fell asleep. And we were able to get him in there and still enough to do the CT scan. And after it was done, we met with the doctor who told us that Ryan had highly disorganized tissue and no optic nerves. So this came with the diagnosis of bilateral anophthalmia. So that was it. My baby boy had no eyes at all. He would have no sight, no shadows. He was as blind as you can get. As much as I thought I prepared myself for this diagnosis, it gutted me. I felt so powerless and so protective over my baby. My baby that would never see my face, never see his own face, never see anything at all. I just wanted him to stay a baby forever so he would not have to go through life this way. I couldn't comprehend how he could prosper. I remember a, a co-worker checking in to see how I was doing, 
not knowing what I was going through and asking me, so does he have 10 fingers and 10 toes? And I said, well, yeah, but he doesn't have any eyes. And she thought I was joking until she realized I was not joking. But then I started to question myself, like, what did I do to cause this? When I was pregnant, did I eat something wrong? Was I exposed to pesticides driving through farms on my way to work? Was it the x-ray from my dang broken pinky toe? The guilt and the grief hit me hard. It hit the whole family hard. My older son, Devin, just didn't understand it. He was seven, and he was looking forward to showing his little brother the ropes, you know, playing catch and riding motorcycles. And I remember him looking at me with all the concern in the world and asking me, how is he going to play Yu-Gi-Oh cards with me? And when I didn't have a good answer, he ran up the hill in the backyard to escape. And it was heartbreaking to see how this was impacting everyone around me. But through all the grief and the uncertainty, you try to find solid ground. You know, I found out what services are out there and what groups are out there that know about bilateral anophthalmia. Survival mode takes over. This is all that matters is finding out how to make this work. And it takes a toll because you spend so much time researching and going to appointments and getting services set up that I wasn't engaging with my family or my friends. I felt even more disconnected because many of my friends at the time didn't have kids and the ones that did didn't have any blind ones. I started to feel so isolated and disconnected. And I had no understanding or idea of what this diagnosis would mean for Ryan, for our family. I, I felt hopeless. And this grief sets in more because I realized that this is not going away. He will not see one day. This is our reality. There's no getting out of it. And it's so heavy and overwhelming. All at the same time, my maternity leave is ending. It only, I only took two months off. I just started my job, so I didn't have the resources to not get 100% of my pay. In a way, it was nice to have a few hours of normalcy. I knew I would only be off two months before Ryan was born. What I didn't know is how much time I would need to take off to go to appointments and everything after he was born. Not only did he have his like routine well checks, but we decided to have him get conformers for his eyes. This is a treatment that leads to him getting prosthetics. You see, when you're born without eyes, there's nothing in your eye socket to hold the space in place. So without eyes, the bones will start to collapse in and lead to sunken eye sockets. This treatment is optional and one of many to consider. It is more to try to maintain the structural integrity of his face. I know many people who opted out of this and their kids are fine. But we decided to do this, which started at two months old and meant going to an ocularist. The first inserts almost look like clear plungers where the handle part stuck out of the eye for easy retrieval so it could be pulled out and a bigger size put in. Every two weeks, we had to do this for the first year and a half of his life until the next phase. Mind you, Ryan hated these appointments, and you realize his true strength at these doctor's appointments. 
On top of the prosthetics, we had early intervention services for him where someone would come to our house or to daycare and work on mobility, occupational, and speech therapies. My life was just full now of doctors and service providers, and this was just the beginning. A few years later, another diagnosis would come, one that actually became his primary quote-unquote disability. But this was my beginning. Going through all this is what has led me here to share my story. One that is unique to me, but hopefully relatable. I'm grateful that besides some of the minor asthma and allergy issues in the past, Ryan is physically healthy. And many of you have children that have medical complexities that add to your own unique layer of what you need to work with every day. The relatable theme I feel many of us who are living alongside someone with special needs in our own ways, we can all feel overwhelmed, isolated, fearful for our child's future, guilty, grief-stricken. And at the same time, we can appreciate how the little things, the little accomplishments, mean so much more. If my now self was able to go back and talk to my then self, I would have so much less worry in knowing how capable my son would be and what an impact his life would have on others. That I would know I'd be in a good place socially with my family and friends and community. And I'm hoping my now self might help some of you in the beginnings of your journey, as well as connect with those of you who have had some experience along this path to help each other know that it won't be easy or typical or what we imagined, but it can be so beautiful and worth it. And you're not alone. We all want to do the best we can to make a difference in the lives of our kids, a positive difference. As mine have gotten older, I'm able to take more time to reflect and hopefully encourage some of you amazing people out there that we can do this and we can have an amazing life too. So if you're listening to this, thank you. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you. And I'll be back with my next episode in a couple weeks. Until then, keep rocking the difference.